Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Six players went for 25 homers and 25 steals this past season. Three of those came from shortstop-eligible players. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, October 26th. Frank Stample joined by a jubilant Scott White. Today on the podcast, we're going to recap the shortstop position, take a look at the top 10, what went wrong for a few names, <coughs> Francisco Lindor, and then we'll dissect Scotty's top 20 rankings for 2022. But who cares about shortstop right now? We did it, Scotty. The Braves have won the <laughs> National League pennant and are moving on to the World Series. How we What's this we business? Oh, we? Come on, man. We, your, we do a podcast serious- together. We, we could share a team. Serious bandwagoning going on here from the guy with Derek Jeter on the wall behind him, but that's fine. That's fine. I'm I'm happy. I'm happy to have you on my side, Frank. on On our side, dare I say, we're and, all uh, we're all Braves fans now, Scotty. We're all Braves fans now. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, it was emotional, Frank. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. Like to the point that there's almost this feeling that it's already been accomplished. You know. And I even got that sense from Brian Snitker on the on the podium afterward, where he's like, "We did it, Atlanta," and it's like, "Well, <laughs> you, you did you did something major, but there's still something else to do." You know, just I, I worry a little bit about the ha- the happy to be th- there mindset. You know, um, from myself too, as it's as as much as I contribute to the cause, <laughs> of course, by sitting on my couch. So, you know, there, there's a little bit of that feeling, but like, man, it, it, it felt so good, Frank. I'm not going to lie. Uh, there, there were, I was a little teary eyed. Got to be honest. Well, hey, man. When, when Freddie Freeman caught that last ball and threw his hands, threw his arms up in the air. Cause year after year, you watch everybody else's guys do that. Right. And to see your own guys do that, it's like, wow. Especially Freddie Freeman, a, right? Like of he, course. he like represents this era of the Atlanta Braves, right? Right, really the past decade or so. Uh, so it's awesome there. I'm happy for you. Uh, definitely rooting for the Atlanta Braves. For the betting audience out there, the Braves are plus one thirty underdogs to win the World Series. The uh, Houston Astros are minus one fifty. So. Might throw a few shekels on that myself. On the Braves, that is, of course, not on the Houston Astros. No Lance McCullers expected to pitch in the World Series. Game one uh, looks like it's going to be Framber Valdez going up against Charlie Morton. My man, Charlie Morton, let's go. Let's get it done in game one. Scott, do you have an official World Series prediction? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm not going to predict the Braves to lose, Frank. I think it. I think it's reasonable to call the Astros the favorites. You gave the betting odds just then. I mean, that's reasonable. Um, I think it was reasonable to call the Dodgers the favorites. I think the Astros... I, I think the Dodgers were a tougher test than the Astros. So I think the Braves have, in a way, proven they can beat the Astros because they've already beaten the Dodgers. That doesn't mean... They're likely to beat the Astros. I do kind of take exception to this idea I've heard a few times. Oh, the Braves were the team that got hot in the playoffs, and that's why they're in the World Series. And I understand where it comes from because you're just looking at the fact they 
They won 88 games during the regular season, but they had, you know, it was, it, things played out so oddly over those first four months where they were hovering right under 500 that there was only so much ground they could make up at the end once their outfield situation got resolved. From August 1st on, the Braves went 36 and 19. That's a 655 winning percentage. And they've obviously have done well in the playoffs. And, and you look at their run differential. I mean, it wasn't that far behind the White Sox run differential for the season. So I just wanted to put that out there. But I've delayed long enough. I'm going to say the Braves win in six. Oof. All right. I'll, I'll say that the, Oof. <laughs> the series goes one game longer. I will take the Braves in seven games. And they're doing this all without Ronald Acuna, right? Their best player, mm-hmm. one of the best players in baseball. And I've got to give credit to the Houston Astros, right? Like for our Astros fan audience out there uh, that is listening or watching, got to give credit where it's due, right? Like whole cheating scandal. They came back this year. They handled their business. They win the division. They dominate in the playoffs and they're back here again, uh, ready to prove everybody uh, wrong. So uh, we'll see if they can actually do that. Uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be going to be fun for sure. Uh, let's go Braves. Let's do it. We finally did it, baby. Uh, news and notes before we get into the shortstop position. Rafael Devers was dealing with an arm issue uh, throughout the playoffs, and apparently uh, it's just merely elbow inflammation and will not require any surgery. So hopefully that remains the case. Uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, Devers expects to be maybe a second round pick, maybe an early third round pick for next year. So uh, obviously we need him healthy in order to draft him that early. Jordan Hicks concluded a rehab stint at the Arizona Fall League on Sunday and is expected to compete for a spot in the rotation during spring training with the Cardinals next year, which is Mm. pretty intriguing because uh, he really has not pitched at all uh, over the past two years. And now they're going to try and put him in the rotation. So obviously there's going to be restrictions he was mostly a starter in the minor leagues. He had a 304 ERA, 140 whip, so walks were always an issue. Uh, he doesn't get a lot of strikeouts for someone that throws that hard, but he pitched in 37 Probably. games in the minors. 34 of those were starts, so maybe like a real deep sleeper for next year, Scotty? I don't know. We'll yeah, see, see. I, I would say it's a long shot because we, we already know they want Alex Reyes to compete for a rotation spot, and I imagine he'll have a leg up there. Not like the Cardinals pitching staff is loaded with musts for the rotation, you know. But, uh, you know, they're going to have Wainwright for one more year, right? Oh, yeah. And Jack Flaherty, of course. Beyond that, it's pretty wide open, right? Is there somebody I'm forgetting? Mm, let's see. Uh, they have... Oh, <laughs> Well, Dakota Hudson. Dakota Hudson's healthy yeah. again. I imagine he'll be slotted in. I just pulled up and their their uh, roster resource. This is is not good, man. We got Miles Michaelis, uh, Dakota Hudson, and Jake Woodford, who made a few starts right. down the stretch. Which, you know, he actually pitched well, but the underlying skills are not very intriguing. Um, I you know yeah, I want to so, see what so they do Michaelis with Michaelis is probably penciled in. So they're really we're really just talking about one spot up for grabs if everybody's healthy, which yeah. is a big if, of course. I want to see what they do with Alex Reyes too, right? So. You know, he struggled mid-season, right, gets pulled from the closer role, um, and, and, you know, he was a setup man down the stretch, but walks were clearly an issue. Maybe they don't view him as, as a starting candidate anymore in the rotation, but he still has great stuff. It's just, it's always the walks. So um, I, maybe those two guys, like, work in tandem somehow, you know, Alex Reyes and Jordan Hicks. It's, it doesn't seem like either one of them is suited for, um, you know, a, this huge innings jump in 2022. I, I am- 
I am definitely more excited about the prospect of Alex Reyes starting for sure because I I feel like I, I feel like if Jordan Hicks does win a rotation spot, he would be a pretty marginal fantasy option. And you'd rather root for him to win a closer job, though. I kind of hope they just stick with Giovanni Gallegos for that role. So, yeah, I mean, that's your guy. You've been waiting years. And uh, he finally looked good when he was in the role of this season. Well, he's always good. It's just he never had the closer role. Speaking of the Cardinals, they hired Oliver Marmol as their new manager. He was their bench coach for the past two years and is just 35 years old. If he's not the youngest manager in baseball, he is definitely close to it. Uh, so we'll see if he can live up to what Mike Schilt has done the past couple of years with St. Louis. Corey Seager told reporters that he would love to return to the Dodgers when he becomes a free agent this offseason. Uh, we know that there are a bunch of awesome shortstops available. Seager, Carlos Correa, who's competing in the World Series, Trevor Story, Javier Baez. Uh, there's, you know, it is the best possible group of shortstops you could imagine hitting free agency all at the same time. We could see some music, musical chairs. Simeon. Uh, Mar- Marcus Semien as well. So, I mean, there's already been rumors that like the Yankees are going to be interested potentially in a shortstop. We'll see what happens there. But uh, the Tigers, another name out there who they turned it around. I did not realize how much they turned it around, Scott. Like they won oh, yeah. 79 games this year. The last full season they played was 2019, obviously. They won 47 games. That is yeah. a 32 game improvement. Over two seasons, obviously, you know, AJ Hinch has a lot to do with that. Uh, but, you mm-hmm. know, they've been linked to Carlos Correa. Obviously, he has a history with him. So well, we'll see. I mean, I think I, I, I think the, I think the Tigers are the pick for breakthrough team next year. Unless you I mean, the Mariners will be there, too. If you if if, yeah. if they haven't already broken through, obviously, they were in the playoff race right till the end. Uh, but I, th- I think the Tigers, the Tigers are certainly the White Sox biggest threat going forward, I think. I think that they can make a push just next year for the American League wildcard. I think they could be in that mix, especially if they call up Spencer Torkelson. They have Riley Green, two great prospects that we're probably going to see uh, debut at some point in 2022. Bob Klapish of the Newark Star-Ledger hears from, quote, a family member that Anthony Rizzo is eager to stay with the Yankees. He's a free agent. Luke Voigt has dealt with a lot of injuries the past couple of years, so uh, that is obviously up in the air right now. Uh, for the Yankees. Spencer Torkelson's sprained ankle will rule him out for the remainder of the Arizona Fall League. He was the number one overall pick in the 2020 MLB draft. Um, and just mention him, we probably see him at some point next season. Uh, before we get to the shortstop position, uh, we have our buddy Chris Welsh, aka The Welsh, joining us this Wednesday. Wednesday night, we're going to record it and then uh, he'll. That'll be a, the Thursday podcast that we release. Talking all things prospects from this past year. Risers, fallers, players of note out of the Arizona Fall League. Obviously, the Welsh resides in Arizona, so he is uh, following the Arizona Fall League very closely. We'll, we'll see what he has to say about uh, players who are performing well there. Uh, excited to do so. And the next week, we'll focus all on outfield. The week after that, we'll be all starting pitcher. But for today, the shortstop position year in review the same that we've done for every other position. We'll look at the top 10 in Roto, uh, and then we'll move on to the 2022 ranks. But let's start up top. The number one shortstop this past season was Bo Bichette. 298 batting average, 29 homers, 121 runs scored, 102 RBI, 25 steals. He was the number two overall player uh, in Roto, 5x5 Roto this past season, and he was one of six hitters to go 25-25 this past season. He's a unique player, Scott. You know, finishes as the number two overall player in Roto, 
but his 828 OPS ranked 44th among qualified hitters this past season. So he doesn't walk yeah. all that much. Um, he makes a good amount of contact, but power is there. Obviously can run a little bit. Uh, what do you think of Bobichet's 2021 campaign? I, I think he had a lot to prove entering 2021. Obviously he was a big prospect when he debuted as a, as a, I believe it was a 21 year old still. Yeah. In 2019 when he debuted, but he played only 46 games that year. And then last year, in what was only a 60-game season, of course, he played just 29 games. So, you know, people were drafting him in the second round, typically, despite him having played only 75 career games in the majors. And and certainly what he did in those 75 games, you could make the case it was deserving of a second-round pick. But 75 games is not a lot to go on uh, because it was split between two years. I think people were a little more trusting of it uh, but you know, basically, he was the exact same player this year, just over 159 games. So there's really nothing to doubt about Bo Bichette anymore. I, I think most notably, where he, he stole 25 bases, and, and that was a part of his skill set that I wasn't really sure was going to be something we could count on. Uh, he was 8 for 13 in stolen bases as a major leaguer in those 75 games before this year. He went 25 for 26 this year. So, okay. Yeah, it looks like he's going to be a pretty good source of steals. In which case, you don't care that much that his on-base skills are suspect and that you know maybe he doesn't have quite, quite the power potential of the typical first-round bat. You know, still had 29 home runs, but... Uh, slugged less than 500. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, when we talked about it right when the season ended, I was I was kind of not so sure I liked the idea of drafting Bo Bichette in the first round. Uh, but, you know, now having had a chance to look at it more closely, I do think he's a late first rounder in Roto Leagues where obviously the steals are... Uh, or something you have to sell out pretty hard for because of the the on base issue and not walking that much. Probably more like a late second rounder in points leagues, I would say. But I have him as the number three shortstop in both formats. All right, uh, with Bo Bichette, you mentioned uh, the power was a little underwhelming. Twenty nine homers and and where the slugging percentage wound up this year. He turns twenty four in March, and I actually think look if you're just factoring in a player that's just like progressing and the fact that he has a great home park to hit in a great division of parks to hit in. And the fact that his ground ball rate was 49% this past year, it was 42.6% in his first 75 games over uh, 2019 and 2020. So if he brings that ground ball rate down, uh, then I think we could see even more power. So, you know, take a page out of Vlad's book. Let's, let's raise that launch angle a little bit. And if that happens, we could be looking at, 35 homers, 20 to 25 steals, and that would certainly uh, return first-round value. It's also worth pointing out that a big reason he was the number two player overall, which I'm surprised hearing that, but a big reason that happened in Roto Leagues is 121 runs, uh, which, you know, obviously he plays in a great lineup. So I, I don't, I don't see that changing next year, even if Marcus Simeon is gone. Uh, number two was number two, Trey Turner. 
328 batting average, 28 homers, 107 runs scored, 32 steals. He was the second of the six hitters to go 25-25 this past season. Finishes as the number three overall player in 5x5 Roto. Uh, And we mentioned this either right after the season ended or towards the end of the season. Consistency. He hit over 300 each month of the season. So that is just awesome. Whether you're playing Roto or or head-to-head points, uh, especially in any type of head-to-head format, to have that kind of consistency week in, week out, month in, month out, uh, that is awesome to see from Trey Turner. The power up a little bit the past couple of years. The speed has taken a little bit of a step back. We had Matt Williams on last week, and he said as of now, you know, without knowing exactly what's happening with Tatis and Acuna, that Trey Turner is his 101 overall in uh, in Roto formats. You don't go that high, Scott, but I'm sure you're fine with him as a mid-first-rounder. Well, why not Bichette? Bichette finished higher than him this year. Ooh. No, I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't take Bichette over Turner either, but yeah, no, I, I am going to give Tatis and Acuna the benefit of the doubt until until there's a real reason not to. You know, um, Tatis... Manage. I, I think he missed only about twenty games because of the shoulder issue. He, he had a. He spent some time on the COVID IL too, but I think it was only about twenty games that he missed because of the shoulder issue. And, and obviously, he was awesome, right? MVP caliber. And the shoulder issue first came up in spring training, so he was playing through it that whole time. You know, I I don't really see much reason to bet against him, even if that is a little worrisome that he's going to continue playing through it. And then Acuna, you know, if his ACL's healed by the start of the season, I don't really have doubts about how he's going to perform either. So I don't, I think it's definitely um, erring on the side of caution with an emphasis on the erring to take Turner ahead of those two at one overall. But, you know, even beyond that, I'd take Vladimir Guerrero over him. I would take Juan Soto over him. I think I'd even take Shohei Otani over him, which isn't like to knock Trey Turner. I mean, he's great across the board. He's going to be dual eligible next year, probably going to be more likely drafted as a second baseman in fantasy. Yep. But he's not like the outlier for stolen bases that he was at the start of his career. He's you know, you could expect about 30 from him. There are other first-rounders that you could expect about 30 from. I think that the category maybe Turner stands out most in now is batting average. Uh, but he's added some power. You know, not a 30-homer guy in all likelihood, but 25-30 with a 300-plus batting average and in a good lineup. Certainly a mid-first-rounder. I, I just think early first round, you know, you're, you're leaving some numbers on the table if you settle for him. Uh, number three, how safe is Fernando Tatis? We know that he's awesome on a per-game basis. Amazing this year. 282 batting average, 42 homers, 99 runs, 97 RBI, 25 steals. He was the number five overall player in just 130 games. Uh, he had, I believe it was two stints on the IL for his shoulder injury where he returned in the minimum time. And then he missed, I believe, another 10 games because of COVID. So uh, he was the third of the six hitters to go 25-25 this past season. And it's more than that. Like, he's done it this... He did it this year. He did it last year. He has 95 home runs plus steals since the start of 2020. That is the most in baseball of, like, any hitter, any qualified hitter, any hitter in general. Um, So you know when he's on the field, he's going to hit homers. He's going to steal games. He will not have shoulder surgery this offseason. We got that report uh, last week. 
I mean, look, even with the shoulder this year, he destroyed baseball, Scott. 99th percentile in barrel rate. He was best in baseball and expected slugging percentage. We just need him to stay on the field. But if he does that, I mean, Tatis is going to be amazing. Yeah. And and saying he went 25-25. At least 25-25. Yeah. It was 42-25. Right. Yeah. It was 42. It was 25 plus 17 and 25. Yeah. So, I mean, that that just shows you the advantage he has over somebody like Trey Turner. I would imagine if 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 you did a per-game calculation. I know it's true for points leagues. Is it true for points leagues? Was he number one in points per game among hitters? I believe he, he was. Would. He was tied with Vlad, I believe, at four. Four points per game. Okay. Actually, Acuna was number one. Uh, if we're if we're going to count non qualifiers, yeah, Tatis but was then for, four. Then four. Fernando Tatis and Vladimir Guerrero. Oh no, no, uh, Tatis was a little ahead of Guerrero, a hundredth okay. of two, three hundredths of a point ahead of Guerrero. So yeah, I mean, if you did a per game calculation, Tatis, I'm sure would have finished ahead of Turner and and Bichette, and uh, and it would be no contest. But nope. yeah, I, I think I think it's no contest as it is, just because the getting that big a, of um, that much gain in the home run category counts for a lot. I think maybe even beyond what's reflected in the in the formula. Number four at the position at shortstop was Marcus Semyon, who he will he won't have shortstop eligibility next year, will he? Yes, he will. Oh, he will. All right, so yep. He made some appearances there uh, this year. He was great. Uh, he was the number seven overall player, 265 batting average, 45 homers, 115 runs scored, 102 RBI, 15 steals. We spoke about him extensively on the second base podcast, so I don't know if there's anything else that we need to add, but the biggest takeaways for Semyon is that he's a free agent. So, you know, obviously going back to Toronto, I think would be the best landing spot for his fantasy value. Great park to hit in, great lineup, obviously. Uh, so if he leaves, I think we have to downgrade him a little bit. And we mentioned it, his quality of contact really was not great. Uh, the expected numbers on StatCast, 241 expected batting average, 444 expected slug. Those were both well below his actual numbers. So if that's something that worries you, then you probably will not want to draft him in the second round. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't worry me unless he goes to a, a really pitcher-friendly park. Uh, I, and even then, I'd drop him to like a third-rounder, you know? Basically, two of the last three years, Marcus Simeon has been an MVP finalist. We don't know for sure that he's an MVP finalist for this year, but he probably should be, and he was in 2019. And then there was this awful season in the middle that wasn't really long enough to take anything away from. So I think uh, I think I've done doubting Marcus Simeon. And I agree, I'd rather see him stay with Toronto, but even if he doesn't, he's going to be a higher pick than he's ever been before. Number five at the position was Jorge Polanco, 269 batting average, 33 homers, 97 runs, 98 RBI, and 11 steals. He was the number 24 overall player this past season. Guy hits a ton of line drives. Uh, His home run to fly ball ratio went way up this year. That's why you see the the bigger home run total. Uh, he also pulled the ball way more than ever, which, again, I mentioned on the second base preview. And that's part of the reason why a lot of the Twins hitters were able to break out a couple of years ago power-wise, like Mitch Garver and uh, Nelson Cruz. I mean, Nelson Cruz is always great, but like everyone in Minnesota's pull rate spiked. And as a result, they saw a lot of power. That's exactly what Jorge Polanco did this year. And it worked for him. 
Yeah, we talked about him in the second base preview too. So, you know, don't want to... Going to give you the abridged version now. But uh, he's kind of like Simeon in a couple ways that he overperformed the expected stats and that he had the breakthrough in 2019 followed by the awful 2020 that caused most people to to downgrade him significantly, undermine the 2019 breakout, obviously, but then came back with even better numbers in 2021. Um, low strikeout rate combined with a low ground ball rate. That's a good combination. I do think a step back is more likely than him delivering these exact same numbers next year. But I, I would be happy to draft him as my starter at either of those middle infield spots. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see where the... ADP falls for Jorge Polanco because I agree like 33 homers I wouldn't expect you know maybe he's 22 to 25 you know somewhere in that like early to mid 20s in home runs probably gets to I'll give him mid I'll give him mid 20s so like if he's a 25 homer 10 steal player that's still a very good player you know 260 uh, 270 batting average ish it's a good player it's just you know he finished number twenty four overall uh, this past season, so I don't I don't know that anyone's right. expecting that. Uh, regardless, it's crazy as it was mostly over the first final four months. His numbers at the end of May were pretty awful. Yeah, Jorge Blanco was awesome in twenty twenty one, much like Butcher Box, my go to for high quality meat. When you invest in high quality meat, the benefits go way beyond a great tasting meal. It's more ethical, sustainable, and their sourcing decisions are made holistically, always delivering products that you can trust. All right, so I am no cook. I've probably mentioned that at some point on this podcast, but last night I made a ribeye steak from Butcher Box using a recipe from our old friend, Chris Towers. No joke. It was the best tasting steak that I have ever had. And I've been to multiple steakhouses. It was so fresh, so tender. I added a side of broccoli. One of my favorite meals. I can't recommend it enough. Every month, ButcherBox will ship a curated selection of high-quality meat right to your home. Customize your own box or go with one of theirs. Either way, you get exactly what you want. Free shipping for the continental United States. Right now, ButcherBox is offering new members a 10 to 16-pound turkey free in their first box. Just go to ButcherBox.com dot com slash fbt to sign up that's butcherbox.com slash fbt to receive a free turkey in your first box thanksgiving is on the way you want that free turkey you know what to do number six at the position javier baez went 265 bat- at batting average 31 homers 87 rbi 18 steals <laughs> another one that we talked about on the second base preview so we'll yeah we'll keep it a lot of crossover we'll with keep those it, positions isn't there we'll keep it tight here but like the plate discipline was worse than ever before. He stole more bags than ever before. That's probably not true. I think he had a, a year with 20 seals. Um, but he was close. Yeah. He ran more than usual. Uh, also, you know, it was a contract year, obviously. So, I yeah. don't know. Like, I, I'm not going to be drafting Javier Baez uh, if people are, you know, elevating him because of this past season. He's, he's, he's just a weird player. Well, there's so much depth at both of these middle infield spots. And I probably should have said it at the top. Shortstop is clearly the deepest infield position uh, in the past you know we, we've seen it as a good position in, in recent years but kind of a top heavy position that thinned out pretty quickly that's not the case i mean one through 20 i would say it's the strongest of all the infield positions uh so you know some of these guys are going to get drafted as second baseman instead there's multi-eligible players otherwise too that that'll maybe 
thin the herd a little bit, but you know, shortstop is a position that you should not have to sell out for in any way. And it, it gets somebody like Javier Baez pushed down uh, to, where do I have him? For Roto, I have him 10th and obviously even lower for points leagues because, you know, you're elevating him in Roto because you, that there's not the damage from the poor plate discipline, not in a direct way anyway, and because steals are so hard to come by in Roto leagues. And while they're valuable in points leagues, they're not essential, right? So, Buy is definitely better in five by five. And even then I only have him 10th and like, yeah, we've been saying it for him for years, or at least I've been saying it for him for years. When the fall comes, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a hard fall. It's going to, you're going to be left holding, holding the bag. Is that, is that the right expression? It's not going to be good. (laughs) It's not going to be good because the plate, his hit to have the success he's had in recent years, it relies on him having an outlier BABIP and an outlier home run to fly ball rate. He has to be am- among the best in the league in those two areas because the plate discipline's so bad. And he's managed to do it year after year. The plate discipline got worse this year, though, and yet somehow those outlier numbers got even better. It was even a, a bigger outlier in BABIP, a bigger outlier in home run to fly ball rate. And so that just makes Baez even more volatile, I think, going forward. Uh, and I don't, I don't think it's going to matter so much where he winds up, where he ends up signing. I think, I think the real concern for him is just can, how, how long before he stops being an outlier in those, those areas. And that is a great question. Also a great question what does left holding the bag actually mean? The expression left holding the bag originated in 18th century Britain and spread throughout the English-speaking world. In this context, a person left holding the bag is stuck with the stolen goods. So you don't want to be mm. that person. when Not, not stuck with those, those <laughs> stolen stats he gets from cheating and BABIP and home run to fly ball rate. Yeah, and look. Exactly. He's able to, to, to quote, steal these stats. I think it's a good way to put it because... Like he's just a freak athlete. So there's some there's some guys that could just like they can outperform these peripheral numbers because they're like they're just yeah. so gifted athletically. Like Javier Baez is one of them. I've made the same comp to Tyler O'Neill. So I think they're very similar players. Um, but Father Time is undefeated. That is, I mean, and that's why you know I refer to certain players. I think they have a profile that's going to age well. Right. It usually means it's a profile that doesn't rely a lot on extreme athleticism. And Baez isn't that. I think Baez is going to age poorly. And yeah. so, you know, no, no telling when it starts. Somebody like Freddie Freeman, for example, right? Like, puts the ball in play, yeah. good eye at the plate, obviously, hits a lot of line drives, doesn't rely on, you know, that extreme athleticism. You know, that that's a profile that uh, ages quite gracefully in uh, baseball. Javier Baez, by the way, is 28 years old. He'll turn 29 on December 1st. So, Still in the prime of his career. Uh, also a free agent, so we'll see where he lands in the offseason. Number seven at the position, Brandon Crawford. Are you kidding me? 298 batting average, 24 homers, 90 RBI, 11 steals. So he just had his age 34 season. He posted career highs in homers, runs, RBI, steals, batting average, OPS, slugging. I mean... What do we do with this? And he did it all in 138 games, right? So he missed some time, and he was still awesome. What do we do? Yeah, <laughs> and and among the shortstops you haven't mentioned yet that Crawford that Crawford placed ahead of in roto leagues, Xander Bogarts, Trevor Story, 
Carlos Correa, who had a great year, uh, Tim Anderson. Yep. And of course, guys who had down years like Francisco Lindor and, and uh, Corey Seager. Mainly, he just missed a lot of time. But yeah, Crawford, I mean, career year at age 34. Like, I, I think it's always a bad idea to bet on the 34-year-old breakout having a continuation, especially at a position that tends not to age well because it depends so much on athleticism. Uh, but I mean, like, even defensively, it was one of his best seasons. So it's hard to know what to make of it. I mean, he didn't sustain the same power production in the second half, but he got better in other areas. He hit 309 in the second half. So, I mean, he was he was uh, pretty bankable from start to finish. Uh, I, only ha- I only rank up 20th for next year, which is a testament to how deep the position is that I can get away with ranking somebody like that only 20th. But, you, you know, it, it may work out fine if you end up waiting that long to fill your shortstop position and, and fill it with Crawford. I mean, there's not really... Other than just the fact that it seems improbable, you know, the, I, I don't, I don't see a lot to really nitpick about here. Number eight at the position was Carlos Correa. He hit 279, 26 homers, 104 runs, 92 RBI, zero steals, zero attempts. Just has completely eliminated that aspect of his game. He played 148 games. It was his most since 2016, and. Look, I mean, he was still a very productive player this year, but I kind of feel like he's a better real-life player than he is for fantasy. He's probably better for points leagues at this point, too, than he is for Roto. Right? Who We're talking about Bogarts? Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa, okay. Yeah. Well, it was, if, if we're specifying Roto. Now, now, what's interesting about Correa, as for as good as his year was, he actually underperformed his expected stats. So his expected batting average is 293, 96th percentile versus the 279 mark he actually achieved. So, you know, basically a zero for stolen bases. The power is good, but not great. And then, you know, what's he going to give you in batting average? Is it going to be, you know, just pretty good or is it going to be like he's contending for a batting title? Because I think that's that's really what's going to make all the difference. Um and really, that's the difference between him and, and Xander Bogarts now, who you haven't actually mentioned yet. But I, I feel like Correa and Bogarts are similar, just Bogarts has a better track record for batting average and a better track record for health. And, and he'll uh, probably give you like 8 to 10 steals, Bogarts will. Yeah, maybe. He'll give you more than Correa. Yeah, which isn't so, saying much, but... But I, I will point out, you know, if we're, if we're bringing points leagues into the discussion here, Correa actually had more points per game this year than Bogarts did, 3.28 versus 3.12. So, yeah. you know, gets on base a lot. But we got to see where he signs too because I know the Astros lineup has helped elevate Correa. But, uh, you know, somebody, uh, you know, we, we had him as, as the underrated, undervalued pick at shortstop this year, and I think he I think he lived up to that. I think he had a great year and, is should be treated as a trustworthy starter going forward. Yeah, I mean, a big part of his value is what you just mentioned there. It's hitting in the Astros lineup. So 196 runs plus RBI. If he goes to somewhere like the Detroit Tigers, I mean, that's just undoubtedly going to be less. It's You'd have to project for, I don't know, probably between 160 and 170 runs plus RBI, I would say, 
um, just because it's not anywhere near as good as the Houston Astros lineup. Number nine at the position was Tim Anderson, 309, batting average, 17 homers, 94 runs, 18 steals, and 123 games. And the issue for him is injuries the past couple of years. He's missed 89 games over the past three seasons. That's roughly 23% of uh, all the games available. And the ground ball just got out of control this year, Scotty. Uh, Back in 2019, when Tim Anderson broke out, that was with a right around 48, 49% ground ball rate. The past two seasons now, he's been up around 55%. So that's kind of putting a cap on the, the power production. And... Like as much as we think he runs, he doesn't really run that much. So <laughs> I've been saying that for years. Yeah. Yeah. No, like he's, he's a good player. Only had play- one twenty steal season ever. Yeah. Like, he's a good player all around. And I loved him coming into the season. It it kind of felt underwhelming, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Well, I and he kind of has the the Javier Baez thing too, because so much of his uh, his production in fantasy is built on his batting average. He's hit over 300 three straight seasons. He's had over a 370 Babbitt each of those seasons. Now, three years in a row, I think we're it, it's fair to say that's part of his profile, and you could expect him to do it again. But that does leave him with a narrower a narrower margin for error, especially since he is pretty middling in terms of power and steals potential. You know, I think it's I think it's safer to call Tim Anderson a 15-15 guy than a 2020 guy. You know, he's never been a 2020 guy before and his uh, average exit velocities, his hard hit rate, they're in that range that you you wonder how much the new ball affected him because his his slugging was down this year compared to the previous two and you you point out the ground ball rate, that was probably part of it too. Um but 20 years old Going to turn 29 next year and not really a standout in anything but batting average, just kind of solid otherwise. Yeah, I don't really see him as a standout at this position, even in Roto Leagues. And he's fine starter, but I, I actually don't have him in my, in my top 12 for next year. Yeah, I mean, I think the hope is 300 batting average. He could potentially get to 2020 if he could stay healthy he will be a standout and run score too like he doesn't walk very much but the lineup behind him is is very good so okay so i I think i said he's never been a 2020 guy before actually that one year he stole 20 bases he also hit 20 home runs that was also his only year to hit 20 home runs so he has been a 2020 guy before he hit 240 that year that was the year before what we consider his breakout and I think he would have got there this year too, if you know, if he played 140, 150 games, because uh, he only played 123. Number ten at the position was Trevor Story, 251 batting average, 24 homers, 88 runs, 20 steals. And I was reading an article just the other day. Uh, Mark Feinstein wrote over on MLB.com the most likely suitors for Trevor Story, and he actually listed the Rockies number one. So I don't know, maybe hmm. there's something that we don't know. Uh, but right after the Rockies. He listed the Rangers. Uh, Trevor Story is from Texas, actually somewhere close to where the Texas Rangers play. Uh, the Detroit Tigers were next up on the list. We mentioned they'll be in the market for a shortstop. And then the Philadelphia Phillies. So I think, um, you know, the Phillies mm-hmm. is still a pretty good park to pitch in. Obviously, we want him to go back to yeah. Colorado, but yeah. I personally don't think that's going to happen. Uh, and it was a disappointing year for story maybe you know all the rumors and you know the fact that he's in a contract year kind of played into it 
Uh, but yeah, he definitely let us down as a you know borderline first round pick. Yeah, he finished strong. It's worth pointing out his last two months were his best two. So, you know, I, I don't think he he's like broken or there, there's no obvious signs of decline, anything like that. It was an off year, but it kind of it kind of served to give us a sneak peek into the sort of player he'll be if he leaves Colorado. And, you know, it's going to vary if he goes to a place like Texas versus a place like Philly. You know, you'd rather him go to Hitter's Park of go to a hitter's park of some kind, but none are going to give him the BABIP boost that he's benefited from uh, during his time in Colorado. So I think about a 250 batting average is to be expected. 25 homers and 20 steals. You know, that's still a pretty good roto player. I think uh, post-Core's Trevor Story, we're going to see uh, a gap in his roto value versus his, his points league value. But anytime you can get, you could pencil a guy in for 20 steals, you know, with, with also a, some power, uh, that, that's going to be a pretty hot commodity in Roto. So I still have him seventh in my shortstop rankings for next year for Roto specifically, presu- even presuming he's leaving Colorado. Uh, where do I have him at points? I have him ninth in points. So not even, not that much lower. Texas could be brutal. If he if he winds up in Texas, like that is a bad lineup. And he's mentioned that he wants to prioritize prioritize winning. So I don't know that yeah. Texas is actually you know um, that does seem like a long shot. They're yeah. pretty early in a rebuild there. I think Detroit would make a lot more sense. Yeah, if you know, he Phillies, wants to, Phillies are going to be in on whoever they want to be in on. Yeah, so potentially them. All right, so let's see what happens uh, with Trevor Story. And I think part of why he had a down year. Um, like I mentioned before, Coors Field kind of played a little bit weird. There were, you know, other, some of their players just didn't perform that well at Coors, like compared to where they've been in years past. Uh, and that was the case for Trevor Story this year. He had an 880 OPS at Coors Field. Uh, that was 972 for his career. So he clearly, you know, underperformed there. Uh, and he had a really low BABIP compared to his, his career numbers. So, if somehow he goes back to uh, Colorado, then I would expect a, a bounce back on the numbers he posted this past season. Let's take a quick break. When we return, the early 2022 rankings at shortstop. We'll do that next here on Fantasy Baseball Today. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. All right, so Scott's top 20 for 2022 at shortstop. Let's start with the top five. No surprise here. Fernando Tatis, Trey Turner, Bo Bichette, Marcus Semien, and Corey Seager. We have not talked about Corey Seager at all yet. 
And this past season, he was still very good. The problem was uh, he got hit with a hand. Uh, hit. He didn't get hit with a hand. That would be weird. <laughs> uh, you know, that, you know, whatever. Um, hit with a hand. He got hit in the hand with a pitch, and he missed <laughs> a good amount of the season. Uh, but when he played, 306 batting average, 16 homers, a 915 OPS. That's a 25 homer pace over 150 games. Scott, where are you at on Corey Seager? He was someone you loved coming into last season. Still love him. Still love Corey Seager. He really saved himself with a huge September. His batting average for this year was 306. That's compared to 307 last year. His OPS this year ended up being at 915. That's compared to 943 last year. So he basically brought his numbers, at least in terms of the percentages, in line with that 2020 season that had us all convinced he was a second rounder. Uh, so I still am at fifth at the shortstop position for next year. I have him ahead of Bogarts. I have him ahead of of uh, Story. I have him, who else? Ahead of Boat. I, I mentioned Bogarts already. Ahead of Carlos Correa, obviously. I have Seager fifth. I, you know, you look at the StatCast page, it's still red everywhere. I, I still think the best is yet to come for Corey Seager. If he stays with the Dodgers, that's even better, but I don't, I don't think it so much matters where he goes. All right. Like, uh, I think the best is yet to come. Scott, where would you rather him be for his fantasy value next year? The Dodgers or the Yankees? Uh, mm, probably the Yankees. I mean, left-handed hitter in that park. And really, that's a division full of hitters' parks. It is. I so, do. you know, it, it's close. I mean, and it's not like I'm going to move him up to fourth in my shortstop rankings if he signs with the Yankees. But, yeah, I'd, probably the Yankees if you gave me the choice. I do wonder, you know, I we've seen this before. We just saw it with Lindor, right? Like, big-name player, signs, huge contracts in a new league, you know, moving from the National League to the American League. You know, lots of pressure in New York, too. I wonder if that would play into it. We're getting way too ahead of ourselves because, like, we don't even know if that's going to happen, but I can dream, right? Uh, yeah. Six through ten at the position in Scotty's rankings here. Xander Bogarts, Trevor Story, Wander Franco. Haven't talked about him yet either. Carlos Correa at number nine, and then Javier Baez is tenth. Let's quickly talk about Xander Bogarts because we haven't mentioned his name yeah, either. Well, we did mention his no, name. I've mentioned his name a lot, actually. Oh, <laughs> but oh, we haven't broken him down specifically. We haven't talked about him. Uh, the second half was not good. It, it was, no. you know, it was very pedestrian. 255 batting average, 761 OPS. Uh, plate discipline still looked fine. 12% walk rate, 19% strikeout rate. Um, but, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the numbers, it doesn't, like, there's nothing in the batted ball data that's really standing out to me either. No. So maybe I, I think a little bit unlucky. Just, like, his final numbers: two ninety-five batting average, twenty-three homers, five steals, eight sixty-three OPS. I, I think it's just full season, more predictive than partial season. He got off yeah. to so see what really happened is in twenty nineteen, the the peak of the juice ball era, right? That was the year he had thirty-three homers and fifty-two doubles, and I think that got people thinking there was a higher. Uh, a, a, a higher ceiling for Bogarts than initially thought. But, like, the stack has data said he overachieved in 2019. 2020 happened, whatever, it was a good year, but hard to take much from it. He got off to a really hot start this year, and so we're still looking at that 2019 line and thinking, oh, that's Bogarts, he's the 30-homer, 50-double guy. And then, you know, he had to come back down to earth a little and uh, finished with numbers that were more typical for the rest of his career. 
like a 290 bat- batting average, more like 25 homer power, you know, than 35 homer power. And certainly with the ball change, it would make sense that he would, would regress in that category. It's not like he's a standout in terms of exit velocity or anything like that. Really good plate discipline guy. And I think I think decidedly second tier at shortstop. That's what this year showed for Bogarts when there was some thinking that maybe he was a borderline first tier guy. I love Bogarts in points leagues too. I mean, the guy puts the ball in play, going to get a lot of plate, uh, plate appearances in a great lineup. Uh, and I was just looking up to see if there were any injuries he was dealing with this past year that you know maybe slowed him down in the second half. And there is an article about him fighting a wrist injury uh, in late July. So that I mean, that lines up with the second half. So that's definitely something that he could have been uh, playing through, which affected the numbers. All right, well, let's talk about Wander Franco, who came up this year and had a 43-game on-base streak as a, I believe, 20 years old. Um yeah, he is. Yep, he's 20. And he does not turn 21 until March. So uh, I think someone that it's too early to say if he will definitively always be better as a points league player. But as of now, a 12% strikeout rate this past season, 8% walk rate. He puts the ball in play, probably going to hit high in the Tampa Bay Rays lineup. Going to see a lot of plate appearances as well. All of those things add up to being a great points league player. I, I just, I don't know how much power and speed there's going to be right away. Like, Maybe two or three years from now, he kind of like grows into that, Scott. But I don't know yeah. if it's going to be there right away in year two. I don't know either. The ground ball rate is pretty high. You know, this was a problem for Vladimir Guerrero early in his career. But, I, I, okay, so he, he played 70 games, hit seven homers. You project that out over a full season. You know, you're talking 15, 16 homers, obviously. Not what you want to see. You add the two home runs he hit in four playoff games, so it, it, it jumps to nine home runs in 74 games. It's looking a little better, right? And then you got the fact that like, at such a young age, these contact skills are unbelievable. He struck out three times in September. His approach is ridiculous, Scott. Like, yeah. nothing... I mean, I can't... Look, <laughs> he's as close to Juan Soto as we could possibly get, and I've said this before, and it's like... It's not fair because Juan Soto is like a once-in-a-generation player. Um, and I don't even know that Juan Franco is going to get to Juan Soto's level. But just in terms of a player that young showing that much control at the plate, that mm-hmm. is who it reminds me of. So, yeah, I mean, the floor is so high that I don't... It, it's really... Uh, yes, there is a question of how much power will he deliver ultimately and how quickly will he get to it. But... Like the floor seems even higher for Franco than it did for Vladimir Guerrero, and so I'm I'm willing to give more benefit of the doubt to him. And I ended up ranking him higher than I thought I would. Probably still not high enough to get him because there are going to be these these Wander Franco zealots that you know reach for him <laughs> in round three, and maybe it'll pay off. But uh, I did not imagine I'd be ranking him ahead of Carlos Correa and and Javier Baez as I am here, slotting him eighth at shortstop. And I, I actually have him seventh in points leagues because I dropped Trevor Story behind him. Mm. And like in points leagues, like I don't even I don't even know that it matters how much Wander Franco hits for power because that plate discipline is is you know moves him so far ahead. So I've got to read more about this. I, I'm I know that you're not big on projections, Scott, but uh, Steamer projections it looks like they're already out on Fangraphs. Uh, I, I thought that they usually come out a little bit later, but they have Juan Franco projected for next year. 285 batting average, 19 homers, 92 runs, 10 steals. Steamer projections are usually 
more on the conservative side of things. So, you know, 2010, lots of runs, lots of RBI, 285 batting average. I mean, that's that's a pretty good player. Uh, it's just, I, I, I'm with you. I think there's there's probably always going to be someone in a draft that likes Wander Franco more than me. And I, I like him a lot. It's just, it's, it's going to be a big price tag to pay in 2022. Let's take a look at 11 through 15 in the rankings. Jorge Polanco, Francisco Lindor, Tim Anderson, Jake Cronenworth, and Jazz Chisholm. We have not talked mm-hmm. about Francisco Lindor yet, Scott. And, you know, I would just ask you what went wrong this year, but it was basically everything. I it just performance-wise, the underlying numbers, there was nothing really to back up, uh, you know, that says that he should have been better than what he was this past season. And then he dealt with an oblique injury, so he only played 125 right. games. All that being said, he still put up 20 homers, 10 steals in those 125 games. So, like, you know, that he was on pace for 25 and 12 to 15 steals. That, that's still good, but a 230 batting average. Last year, the batting average was bad. The only thing that you could bet on is the fact that he's, you know, still, I think, a really talented player, and he had an awesome September, so... If you're into those small sample well, sizes. Yeah, I mean, he, he made up a lot of ground on the home run category, specifically in September. I think he only bat, batted like 260 or something like that. So but that I don't want to overstate it. I mean, September was by far his best month, but it it still would have been kind of underwhelming from France, for, for Francisco Lindor at his peak. And, you know, I, I have a theory here for for Lindor that, that's not so favorable for him. I mean... I, I'm seeing this a lot when I uh, we, we talked about it for Rendon and Bregman in the third base preview, where if you look at the timeline of the juice ball era and where the player kind of took off as a power hitter, um, it lines up, you know, and I think Lindor's another case of that. He first broke into the majors in, so so the juice ball era began in the second half of 2016. Lindor broke in in 2015 and was a good player, but built more for batting average. 2016, again, had a a good year, 301 batting average, 15 homers, 19 steals, 794 OPS. And was a must-start player in fantasy, but not like that first-round type, not you know just 15 homer power as opposed to 30 homer power. And then 2017, the first full year of the juice ball era is where he took off as a power hitter, 33 home runs. And there was also a change to his... His approach, he he started selling out for fly balls that year too. It made sense. I mean, it was part of the fly ball revolution. Balls were leaving the park easier. It made sense to hit the ball in the air more and, and get those home runs out of it. So we go, they eliminate the juice ball this past year. It's quote unquote deadened. He's still hitting fly balls at the rate he did in that 2017 season when he broke through with with uh, 33 home runs, and they're just not leaving the park like they used to. So I feel like Lindor, for him, I- I'm not sure he's capable of being that guy he was from 2017 to 2019, that first-round caliber bat who hits 30 home runs. I'm not sure with this new ball that's really even an option for him. To avoid having a season as bad as 2021, he probably needs to change his approach and and, and not elevate the ball so much. Uh, and I, I'm not sure there's a willingness to do that. So, you know, I still rank him 12th because of his track record and because I think there is that chance he, he he finds a happy medium. But there's a reason I'm only ranking him 12th and not like 7th, you know? 
I, I, I'm, I'm concerned that he may not be able to bounce back so easily. So I, I don't want to just like blindly draft Lindor because he's been useful in the past, because I think you laid out some really good reasons for why, you know, he m- just might not be that player anymore. I'll point out that 79 games from June 1st on, which is right around the sticky substance, you know, they started cracking down. 16 homers, 6 steals, 252 batting average, 822 OPS, 11% walk rate, 20% strikeout rate. It's not an an exciting batting average, but if he hits 250 to 260 with 25 homers and 12 to 15 steals, I think he's probably going to pay off his price tag and I, I don't know what that price tag is going to be yeah. yet, but like like if you're getting him in the middle rounds next year, I'm going to have a lot of Francisco Lindor. It's, it's kind of like Manny Machado a couple of years ago where I just, I think he's better than what he showed this past season. And I want to bet on that. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, you'll be happy with that stat line from him next year. And I, I do think it's possible, but it's, it's obviously not bouncing back to the Lindor we were drafting in the first round, you know, 100%. Yeah. Like gotta, the, the days I, I of, think it, I think it, I think you have to accept that he's less than that now. Is he better than 2021? Probably, but I, you know, I, I don't think uh, I don't think there's a reason for a ton of enthusiasm here. I think he's definitely better than a 230 batting average. It's just I've seen enough out of him to know that you know he's too talented to to bat uh, to have a batting average that low. So I would definitely bet on that uh, being higher. But like the days of 30 homers, 20 steals, 280 plus batting average, no, like no one's expecting that from Francisco Lindor. At least I'm not. Um, the next name I wanted to bring up, actually, let's go to the, the final group of five here, the 16 through 20 in your shortstop rankings. Willie Adamas, Dansby Swanson, Bobby Witt, Brendan Rogers, and Brandon Crawford. And I just wanted to talk about <laughs> Willie Adamas real quick here because yeah. we, you know, we haven't mentioned him at all. And uh, once he joined Milwaukee, he was great. We had 99 games with them, 285 batting average, 20 homers, four steals, an 886 OPS. It's just a, a matter of how deep the position is so you couldn't get him higher? Yeah, I kind of wanted to. I kind of wanted to. Um, I could see I, I, chose, I could see moving him ahead of someone like Cronenworth, you know? Yeah, I can too. I, Cronenworth has the triple eligibility, which True. is partly contributing to his ranking, first base and second base, in addition to shortstop. For what it's worth, I have Cronenworth... 14th here at shortstop that's compared to ninth at first base and 12th at second base. So that gives you some idea, the comparison between the positions there. First base Um, is so bad. But yeah, getting back to Adamas, I actually have him in my top 15 in points leagues because I drop Jazz Chisholm way down in that format where you're not selling out for steals. But yeah, just basically, he went to the Brewers in late May, basically. So he spent most of the year with them and hit 285 with an 886 OPS. I mean, that's that's Andrew Bogart's like, right? To use that name again. And uh, you look at his career away from Tropicana Field before that trade. He's complained about the batter's eye at that park since leaving. And the numbers were very similar to that, that 285 with an 886 OPS. Still only 26. I mean, maybe... Maybe uh, maybe that park was really holding him back in Tampa Bay, and and this is who we're going to see going forward. Um, I, I I think I'm going to bet on that possibility a lot if he's if he is indeed going this late at the position. All right, like we do every one of these podcasts, an early target, an early avoid. Scott, is there anyone that stands out as a name that 
you think you might have a lot of next year at shortstop? Um, I, I, I think Corey Seager's probably not going to be ranked as high as fifth at the position by most people. So I'm hoping I have a lot of him again. And like I just said, Willie Adamas, I think is going to be a guy I'm betting on a lot too. Yeah. I like Willie Adamas too. I just said the name, but Francisco Lindor, um, I'm really interested to see where the ADP lands on him, but if he's beyond, I don't know, round six or seven, yeah, I'm going to be in on Lindor. In early avoid, who are we looking at? Baez, I pretty much always avoid him. <laughs> though I was able to get him in a couple of Roto Leagues this year because I think people were fading him in general. Uh, you know, Trevor Story potentially. It depends how hard everyone else is fading him. I might end up with him a lot if people fade him too much. Those those are probably the main ones. I, I'm I'm not going to be that excited to draft Tim Anderson. I just don't think the ceiling is there. Mm-hmm. I I'm looking at the free agents too, and it's just it's going to depend where they land. But uh, Semyon, uh, whoever lands in Detroit, I just I think Detroit's going to get one of these guys, whether it's Semyon or Correa or Trevor Story, and I'm just not very excited about that for this year. You know, maybe. By next year, you know, 2023, once Torkelson and, and Riley Green is up, you know, the lineup looks a little bit better. But uh, I could see that, you know, kind of putting a damper on, on one of those names here in 2022. Speaking of prospects, prospects to know at shortstop for 2022. And you have one of them ranked inside your top 20. Bobby Witt, I think, uh, undoubtedly will be the top prospect drafted in redraft leagues next year. It'll be... You know, some combination of Bobby Witt and then, you know, a big teardrop, Adley Rutschman and and a few other names for next year. But you know, Bobby Witt, just tremendous year between double A and triple A, 33 homers, 29 steals. CJ Abrams, I think, is a name to pay attention to with the San Diego Padres. He's a little bit younger. Uh, he only played 42 games in double A this year. He dealt with, I believe it was a shoulder injury. So probably need some more seasoning, but I think we see him at some point. In 2022, Bryson Stott is a name to know for the Phillies. 299 batting average, 16 homers, 10 steals. Oswald Peraza with the Yankees. He actually made it all the way all the way up to AAA this year. 297, 18 homers, 38 steals between three levels in the minors. And then, like, there are so many shortstop prospects, Scott, but um, mm-hmm. there's a lot that are just not going to be ready next year. I mean, probably for a couple of years. Uh, Marco Luciano, uh, Marcelo Meyer, Noelvi Marte, Jordan Lawler, Anthony Volpe. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the teenage class. I, I could see Anthony Volpe. He's he's already progressed so far in the Yankees system. I could see him making a run that brings him up next year. But one name you didn't mention that I think will be up next year is Jordan Groshans of the Blue Jays, who probably be a third baseman eventually, but he'll he'll be eligible at shortstop to begin the year. Um, so he's he's probably my second favorite at the position behind Bobby Witt. But yeah, I mean the the fact I have Bobby Witt only 18th here, like f- for being what we all know will be the highest drafted minor leaguer next year, like that that seems low. But like, can you draft him over Dansby Swanson? I I, I have a hard time making an argument for that unless. You know, spring training is going, and, and they're really talking about Wit making the opening day roster, which is a possibility. I might have to move him up a couple spots then. But uh, it's just there's just a lot of really good names here, and it makes it difficult to invest in the the guy who has yet to break in. 
All right, let's wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Thursday with the Welsh here to talk prospects. We will see you then. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.